All right, everybody, thank you for coming to another Pro Report podcast. We have yet another top five. Uh, we're going to go in a different direction than our last one. We like to shift gears uh, here and there. Sometimes we have a band or an artist that's been around for a really long time. Sometimes it's a newer act. Sometimes we have a great guest, and sometimes it's just the Pro Report staff. So, uh, what we'll do today is welcome a musician who's from really one of the biggest progressive metal bands ever. Uh, they just completed their 10-year uh, anniversary tour for their mega album, Colors. They have a new album out called Automata Part 1, and Part 2 is on its way. And they just did a tour with Leprous and the Deer Hunter. So they got all over the place all the time. Uh, we want to welcome Dan Briggs, bassist from Between the Buried and Me. Hey, guys. And joining the discussion is someone you've heard from before, fellow Prog Report uh, person, of interest, uh, my good friend, Victor. Greetings once again. Thank you for having me. Dan, thanks for joining us here. I know your guys are busy. You just finished this big tour with Leprous and the Deer Hunter. I saw that show down here in Florida. It was ma amazing. All three oh, cool. bands were just awesome. You're on some downtime. I mean, what's going on now? When is part two, Automatic Part 2 coming out? What's sort of going on? Yeah, it's fun. I mean, I, I got home, you know, almost a month ago now I feel like it's gone by kind of fast and uh you know that there's a little bit of like assimilating to to home life again doing projects mowing the grass cause it's like springtime and it's growing so fast now and uh and then finally like getting up to my office and just seeing seeing where uh I guess where my hands fall now you know on the keyboard or on the guitar or bass and see what um what new sounds are happening and so I've, I've been working on various new music and, uh, you know, there's not, there's not much preparation that's really going on for the, the release of part two of Automata. Um, it's just going to kind of happen and uh, we're going to be on tour for it. So <laughs> it's kind of out of my mind right now. And we put together, a, uh, you know, a set list after we were home for a couple of weeks for our next tour. Uh, so our light designer can start working on his end and, and then people can kind of start chipping away at it, you know, at their own pace. I honestly wait till about 10 days before the tour. So, so um, for the most part, yeah, Between the Buried Me is kind of out of my head right now. And I'm, I'm you know, diving into all these different worlds that I'm in. So, so this well, is kind of fun. That's great. We caught you on some, some nice downtime. But part two, you recorded both parts uh, together, right? So part two is ready to go. You just haven't done the, right, the, the right. final we, packaging. Yeah, well, we wrote we wrote the album as well well we wrote it as you know one sixty sixty five whatever minute album, and then it got split up after the fact um so uh so yeah it's it's been done for quite a while yeah. like we we were we were done recording last September thereabouts so right. um, yeah. well, that's cool. so uh what we're gonna do today is. Uh, talk about a band that also just celebrated their 10-year anniversary as a band, and they have a live album coming out, their first live album called Live, uh, Haken Live, and the band, of course, is Haken, mm -hmm. and uh, we're all big fans. Of course, Dan, for anybody that doesn't know, has a relationship with Rich Hensel, the guitarist and founding member of Haken, and they have a band called Nova Collective that put out this ridiculously awesome instrumental <laughs> Prague fusion album last year it was right and, yeah um yeah so we, we were talking prior to the call a little bit about what's been going on with that project but let's let the the people in on what's going on there yeah well i mean you know i guess you, you know with with haken in general um you know my my introduction to those guys was i, I think it came from from our engineer uh from between the barrier to me and i guess later Nova Collective, uh, Jamie King, uh, somehow he had come across them. And it's weird because, uh, you know, Jamie doesn't get out of his studio, which is also the basement of his house, like very much at all. <laughs> and um, But it, it's interesting because it seems like he's still able to consume and find 
new sounds outside of like I would just think he would just be so dead from recording all the time. Uh, but he found these guys and and he sent them to Tommy and I and was just like like I think you guys have to check this out. And it was um it was the Mountain album that, that had just come out. Um, and, uh, we were on tour and I listened to it in my bunk. I, we were wrapping up. I remember we were wrapping up our, uh, Parallax 2 tours because our old sound guy, uh, Courtney was out with us and he was also super into this record when we got it. And, uh, and I just remember listening through and it didn't quite sound like anyone. It sounded really fresh and, and I, I don't think I was prepared for that. And, uh, and I was really excited, and uh, being that that was right as we were, you know, that I was already kind of like working on ideas for uh, the Coma Ecliptic record. You know, it was just it was just cool to have, just to hear someone someone doing something really new and different uh, yeah. in the progressive music world as well. And you know, that led to you know, flash forward a bit later, and I guess I had been talking about the record. Um, I did a, a video for Amoeba Records in uh, Los Angeles and Hollywood. And uh, one of the records I picked up that day was The Mountain. And uh, Rich from Haken had seen that and got in touch with me through our manager. And it probably was, on we probably only had one or two email exchanges before we were sharing music with each other. Um, I think it was just kind of like, Hey, like I saw the video, I heard you're into, you know, our band, like really into your band and just a little bit of personal admiration for each other. And then he mentioned how he was kind of working on some material for a solo record. And if I'd be keen to do some bass on a track or two and without even hearing anything, I was just like, I was like, let's just, let's just do a record. Let's just write a record. <laughs> That's awesome. And he sent me, um, he sent me a verse for... Uh, what became the song Cascades on the Nova Collective record. And uh, that was the first song. I think we might've had two or three back and forths. You know, I, I took the verse and chorus and expanded a little more and sent it back to him. And then he sent it back to me. And I think we had, we had a tune that quick. And um, it was weird because every other group that I've done on the side of Between the Buried and Me has started with like a personal relationship either from touring with people or just friends. Um, and this was just, you know, me and a guy in England uh, exchanging ideas, sharing. Uh, we work in the program Reason, They're just sharing Reason files, uh, MIDI files. And I didn't really know what space it was going to, uh, what new space, I guess, it was really going to uh, kind of uh, captivate in my uh, creative world, you know, cause I already had a fusion band and trio escapes something that felt really free and different from, you know, the tightly wound constraints of, uh, between the barrier to me, you know, as far as living on the paper. And yeah. then, uh, you know, I play guitar in a band called orbs. That's pretty different. And obviously between the barrier to me. And we just kind of locked in with, with these different sounds, these kind of like, uh, world music things and we we had the same vocabulary when we were sharing files and talking about it and like you know just someone who gets like you know like doesn't question like ah like why is this verse in 11 8 like can't can't we just put it in 12 can't it just be like triplets and and you're like well no it's just i don't know that's just how it is like you don't have to explain <laughs> those things right. And then, you know, I brought in Matt from Triosscapes on drums very quickly. And, and he brought in uh, Pete Jones, our keyboardist, who was actually the original keyboardist of Haken yes. um, before, I believe, any of the records. I think there might be a demo or, s or some stuff that, that Pete was on. But Pete was pretty young, I think, at the time. He's, uh, he's just gotten his doctorate now. He kind of stepped away from music to get his doctorate in fucking theoretical physics <laughs> uh, I was so um, so nervous to meet Pete and he was actually I met him technically the first day of our tour with Haken but I met him before Haken showed up we went to get breakfast and I was so thankful that he was just the coolest dude so chill and then meeting Rich a couple hours later and being like oh okay and that was actually after we had written our, our entire record 
So I was meeting these guys on day one <laughs> in, in uh, Southampton, Europe, or England, and um, thankfully they were cool. It would have really sucked if, if we couldn't get along. <laughs> wow, that's, that's amazing. That doesn't happen a lot, like making a whole album and then, you know, then meeting. But that's, that's, I guess, nowadays, man, the internet, you know? Yeah, yeah it is. And, I, I, you know, I remember texting or emailing Matt that night and being like, Rich and Pete are totally cool. They're totally like one of us. And um, it was it was probably if, let's see that that was the fall that was right when um, Coma Clip that came out 2014 and so that January um, Rich and Pete came over to North Carolina and we all got to spend like ten days together just goofing off in a hotel playing Nintendo 64 you know eating pizza super late and making this crazy fusion record <laughs> that's awesome so let's uh, let's pause there and dive in to the list uh -huh. um so we're gonna go with dan you're gonna give us your uh number five uh best haken song first let's go with yeah that. five five was actually tough i felt like I, I put together the the my top four really easily and then um you know that on on five i almost wanted to pick something that was that was different than kind of a traditional Haken song. Um, so my, you know, my intro was to the band was the mountain. And the thing that I loved about it so much was that even though there was so much great musical insanity on it, um, that there were these killer small pieces um, that were very kind of like fragile on them. And, yeah. uh, and just, just kind of moved the record along and gave it like, like wonderful breath. And, um, you know, I, I was thinking about picking the song like as death embraces, but, uh, I decided to pick falling back to earth, um, which is just a, a crazy insane song. Yeah. Um, but I remember, I remember when, um, so when I first emailed Matt, uh, Matt Lynch, plays drums and trio escapes and uh, Nova collective. And I told him that I was working on this music with this guy, rich and he's in this band Haken. Matt wasn't familiar with them. And so, you know, I had him check out uh, the mountain and the first song that he was like, he was like, I'm really into this was falling back to earth. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, I think that's one of the ones that, that really like caught my attention too. And it's, uh, yeah, there, there's so many things going on in it, of course, like, like any of their longer songs. But, uh, one of the things I love is, uh, it's got a, it's got a catchy chorus, but the chorus is in five. I love any time that, uh, cause you, we do this in between the barrier to me. It's just, it's one of those inherent things that sometimes just accidentally happens. Uh, uh, the coma machine's a good example where, you know, the chorus is this, uh, this, this riff I wrote on the piano that, uh, is, is in seven, but, you know, as I was playing it, it, it felt very natural and it felt very lyrical. And I think the chorus to falling back to earth is that same sort of thing where it's this syncopated, um, but the way Ross carries the melody and you know it it uh it bounces so well and i don't think you even think anything about it and i think that's that's one of the cool things with with progressive music um is is just having kind of the mastery of that kind of stuff you know the, the odd times whatever that you know maybe maybe like in the bridge you know like something more insane is happening or like with the main riff but but you can somehow lock in and find a way to play around those weird times and not make it feel too odd, make it sound very normal. Um, yeah. The song does a very good job of that. And I also, one of my other favorite things about this song is, um, is that there's a lot of just space near the end of the song before the last chorus comes in. Um, you know, it kind of takes like, uh, almost kind of like a, uh, you know, a uh, Pink floyd -y kind of turn where it gets... Uh, just gets real mellow. There's not a lot happening, and yeah, it uh, kind of lulls you into relaxing before the big yeah. Uh, big and you sometimes don't get that with with the uh, you yeah. know when, when you're jamming a, uh, a a prog rock 
record. They do they do that on a lot of their longer songs. It's it's one of the things yeah. they that they introduce. Yeah. Um, well, on the newer record, a lot too. I think I think they 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 worked a lot with uh, with space really well. So yeah, that, that's that's a good one. One of the amazing things is with that song, that's one of their, uh, that's an amazing song, one of their best. And it's, it didn't even come close to my five because I had such a hard time picking. Yeah, um, that's great. So, uh, but Victor, why don't you go next and then, and then I'll go after that. Well, I'm happy to hear uh, Falling Back to Earth made it because uh, this has been a group where, you know, I, I picked the five songs and the five songs that I picked came very naturally to me. And then I started thinking of, the ones that didn't make it and, and like the next five would be, ama- would be amazing. So I'm, I'm glad to hear a shout out to, uh, uh, to falling back to earth. Um, uh, I went with the same, uh, I went with the same album from, uh, the mountain, which, um, for whatever reason, uh, I, in my opinion, that's, that's my, my favorite album of theirs. Now, you know, it's very close, you know, the ranking is very close to me, but, um, um, this is a song in which, um, you know, it has a just a it has the re, the repeating melody line. This this repeating melody from the beginning all the way through to the end. Uh, it is from uh, from the mountain. It was uh, one of the first songs that really caught my attention when I was introduced to this record uh, right before uh, right before Progressive Nation at Sea back in February of 2014. This album was uh, was was very new and uh, we were all excited to see them on the cruise and they played this on the cruise, which was great. The song is Pareidolia. I just love that, that almost guitar sounding melody line in the beginning. And uh, this is a song that also when I first heard it, uh, you know, everybody always makes comparisons to bands that you are listening to or bands that you like from the past. And, and when this came out, uh, the first thing I thought of was, dream i could i could picture dream theater doing this kind of music if uh, if they have if they had kept on going and i kept on listening to them i could see this so you could clearly tell that dream theater is is a heavy influence on them in listening to the song i i love the the solo breakdown in the middle with when you have the heavy rhythms in the back with a little uh dueling solos on top kind of uh, uh, like a counterpoint uh situation which is just so tight so well done they do it live so well and uh, and Ross's vocals just uh, I, I love the melody that he has and um, and so that's why I went with my with my number five was was Pareidolia. <laughs> Flawless live. We should probably interject that at some point. <laughs> that, that, that middle, that middle section is insane. It's, yeah, it's just that was one. Of, that was the first song I ever heard by the band, right before the cruise. Because I remember we were going. Uh, Victor and I went together, and um, you know, being here in the U.S., I mean, you, you know, Dan, have probably known a, a lot of these bands because of touring overseas. Right. Also, you do, but here in the U.S. We never get a lot of these bands and certainly never saw Haken. I must interject. Uh, really appreciate BT Bam for steadily coming to South Florida. I can't think of another yeah. band that is not only not only comes to Florida, but comes to South Florida. Yeah, you yeah, guys come all the time. We do appreciate that. We've, we've got some old friends from, from Fort Lauderdale that, that we've had from, God, 
years and years and years, and we still see them down there. So, yeah, we I, I think until we have bad shows down there, we'll probably keep going, <laughs> you know? Well, but, that's uh, the thing. It's it's when when you guys come around and you're one of the few that that from that genre and from that style and the tickets that you bring down, the people that play with you are just also so great. So it's it's a great ticket. Yeah. Well, this this last tour was an example of like uh, you know we toured with Leprous overseas and we tried to get them on. Uh, so basically, we've been trying to get Haken in America with us for about four years and it just hasn't worked out schedule wise yet it's it's brutal and i'm really hoping next year 2019 once their new record is out they're they're working on new stuff now when that's out that um that it'll finally happen because when we toured together us and haken um it was in europe oh. and it was while uh it was while we were touring on coma ecliptic had just come out and they were writing um what would be affinity uh, affinity. Uh, affinity yeah yeah yeah. i have spotify up i was i was just looking <laughs> yeah affinity um they were they were right they were like actively writing that like in hotel rooms on that tour yeah we're trying man we're trying to get these bands and i mean with you so you know, we're trying to get haken and, and like our super pipe dream i don't think it would ever happen because of you know probably the clout they have in europe i don't think we'd ever get to make it work but we've we're the hugest Pain of Salvation fans. Wow. We wanted to bring them. We've never really tried to bring them to America, but I know they've had they've they've had a lot of visa troubles over the years and they've done small runs here themselves. Yeah, yeah um, they did one uh twenty was it twenty sixteen they did a, a, a brief run after the cruise to the edge. What some of these bands what they try to do now is they come over for the cruise, schedule like ten shows while they're here for that. Yep. You know, and, yeah, then, it's, and then it's, go back. Technically, I mean, it's it's a good idea. Yeah. I think that was when they were doing the uh, the Remedy Lane stuff, if I remember. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's killer. I want to I wanna jump in. So, uh, my number five is um, uh, I think it's just one of, it's one of the most incredible written, arranged songs you'll ever hear. Um, the only reason why it's at number five. Uh, and not higher might just because from the first album production is not as good as things got later. I think Ross vocally got better albums later, um, but it's certainly still awesome on every level. Uh, and it's uh, a song called Celestial Elixir, uh. which is for their debut album to write this 16 minute epic, which is near flawless. And it's all over the place. It's just, I don't even understand how, how on your first album you pull a song like that off. And I'm not the biggest fan of the first album. I think it's great, but it's, it's my, I don't know, to put it mildly, it's just like my least favorite of the albums, I guess. I think they got better with each one. But, um, but that song in itself is just utter genius. And um, yeah. I so actually listened to five. that last night for the first time. I, I'd never, and I, I told Rich straight up, you know, when, when I met him or whatever, I was like, I know the mountain. <laughs> he's like, that's totally cool. Uh, he's like, there's some stuff you, you would dig. And uh, when we toured with them, they played, uh, they were playing, uh, I, I believe they played the first song of Visions, Premonition, I have pulled up. But uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I just checked out some of the Aquarius stuff last night. And you're right, like, just totally, like, first record that's it's just psycho i think yeah. um i know rich had a, a band previous and and i think just when all those guys came together i mean those charlie the other guitarists and you know, i don't know if diego was on that record the keyboardist but they're so fucking good yeah they're insane they're yeah. so good musicians i don't know yeah, I mean, there's there's some some syncopated, you know, keyboard guitar soloing stuff that goes on on there, which is, you know, middle middle era dream theater quality. Like, it's crazy.
All right, so we're off off and running. Number four is back to you, Dan. So number four um, might be one that's higher for you guys, but it's uh, it's from the Affinity record, 1985. Um, is uh, I just you know I, I I started that record and 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 I really dug what was happening. You know, it sounded a little different, and then I got to that song and I was like, oh my god, and I, <laughs> I couldn't believe it because well, I remember we were on tour with them. And Rich and Charlie kept saying, like, like I was like, uh, I was like, well, what's, you know, what's, what's the vibe of the record? Because I love what's going on in the mountain. It just sounds so different and so fresh to me. And they're like, well, you know, we've been listening to a lot of Vince DiCola. And I'm like, what is Vince DiCola? <laughs> they're like, oh, he's the guy that scored, you know, Rocky Four and the Transformers movie. And I was like. Rock. I'm like when he fights the Russian. I'm like okay. So, <laughs> so I'm like so super 80s. Okay. I'm like yeah, that's cool. And I I think I had totally forgotten about that until I heard that song, and I was like, oh well, <laughs> yeah, here it is. And um, I mean, that's I just listen to that song, and and I just think about how they must have just been rolling when they were writing it, like <laughs> like knowing. At that point, knowing Rich, knowing the guys, knowing how funny and humorous they are, and even though serious musicians, they're like us in BT Bam, like we're just idiots and, and <laughs> joke and have fun. And also in 1985, and it's it's like a very serious, um, like like musically executed song, but uh, very silly and fun. Um, I like that there's like. There's this thing that inherently we kind of do in between the bear to me, and it's it's sometimes usually my fault because of having so many uh, fun musical uh, themes and motifs and stuff. Where you end up writing like almost like a little mini overture to, uh, to kind of like a more massive song, and I feel like this song does that. It runs through a bunch of musical themes before it actually locks in with the quote unquote verse, and then. You know, once the vocals start, there's kind of a, a little song within a song, I feel like. Yeah. There's all this musical insanity, and you've got this kind of kind of little structured song in the middle of it. So That yeah, middle, was, the middle where it sounds like a Rocky soundtrack is so, yeah. it's so great. And, and so, you know, I, the first time I got a chance to hear that, um, I, I really, I smiled the entire way through. I remember, I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about, because it was like, Wow, I haven't heard anything like this before. This is because look, I, every band that does something awesome, you're you're more than happy if they just put out the same thing and it's and it's just as good, right? So the mountain is like amazing, and right. they could have done something along the same line, but they com went completely different, and it was refreshing and it was really cool. And I I couldn't have been happier when I first heard that song. Yeah, and there's there's some there's like this great you know kinship that I think I I felt and just exchanging emails with rich and from listening to the music where I, kn I just knew that we were the same, like we'd been listening to the same shit our whole lives, probably like I'm surely our parents were an influence. Like my, my dad, you know, having, having all these, these prog records are just around while I was growing up, but something about like, I think a lot of people look at stuff from the eighties um, as like an embarrassment, like the fashion and you know like roto toms and like early drum machines and like I, I like i hear those sounds and they still sound like 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 to hear of what they thought the future was going to sound like 30 right. years ago yeah um that's a good way that, to describe but, it. but it's like it's so fun and like so we got into like all this fusion uh from the 80s and stuff stuff that like surely very few people are still listening to and we just think it's we just get such a kick out of it but also we like love like we it's that same thing where you're like you're laughing through it but like in a great way like right i love yeah. this and it's hilarious but it's hilarious in a great way
right, Vic, your number four. 1985 is a great song. Uh, my number four, uh, Roy, you kind of stole my thunder with my number four. I love how this band, you know, you mentioned 1985, and they can just sort of encapsulate themselves and, and really do a great job in, in painting a setting for you and just plopping you right in the middle of that. And for those of us that grew up in the 80s and just hear the drums and everything else, you know, we're like, okay, this is, this is your cheesy 80s song, but it sounds really cool. When I first heard the song, um, the middle part, I felt I was in some carnival freak show, but with the coolest music ever. And it's Celestial Elixir, that middle part where you just feel like you're in a, in a cool little freak show carnival environment. And then when you, you know, just really just engulf the whole song, by the time you're done, you're like 16 minutes of really cool stuff. This is an album that I heard uh, after... After the mountain had come out, we had seen them on the cruise, and I just, you know, once we got back, uh, I looked them up on on Pandora or Spotify, whatever I had uh, at the time, and and this song came up, and it was just so different. It sounded just like them, but it sounded entirely different. Uh, so it was really cool, and you know, I'll just keep it short and sweet. Celestial Elixir, number four for me. Yeah, awesome. Uh, okay, so. My number four, uh, I think we've all talked about The Mountain being maybe there. We all agree it's probably our favorite album by the band, and it is mine as well. The issue with that is I had a hard time picking one song from it, and I wanted to try and stick to just keeping one song from it so that I could sort of in, you know, have songs from, from all their albums or somewhat. So the one I settled on uh, is uh, Atlas Stone, uh, the first I guess real track, uh, you know, with vocals and the whole thing is the second track on the album. And it sort of uh, has, uh, it, it captures a lot of the different melodies that are throughout the record. I love, I love the whole open piano thing when the big keyboards come in. It sounds massive. It's just the most enormous, massive opening. And uh, yeah, so I, I'm going to keep my, my talk about that song short too. But I mean, the, the first song I heard from them was Paradoilia, like you said, Vic. and um, then started getting into the rest of the album, and that sort of set me off. I get very insane when I discover a new band and, and I have to know everything about them, and this was one of those cases. So uh, Atlas Stone for me at number four. Nice job. That's a great song. That's a great song. I, th I think that might be a curveball here. We'll see. I, I'm, I'm hoping that <laughs> maybe no. we don't all have the same song. I'm going to save the suspense, but I'll, I'll, I'll say no. <laughs> <laughs> um, number all three right. for me is, uh, is the Cockroach King. All right. And um, I kind of remember the feeling of being in, sitting in my bunk, listening to this record for the first time, uh, being totally blown away by Atlas Stone. And then this song comes in and I was, I just, I couldn't believe it. Like I might've been laughing in my bunk. And, uh, and the, the reason why is, is because I'm such a huge gentle giant fan. And I've, I introduced gentle giant to our guys in between the buried me when I joined when I was 20 and we were writing Alaska early 2005, late 2004. And it might've been the first day of tracking drums at the studio and I don't know if I came to the studio with a stack of CDs and someone asked about it and I was like, Oh my God, you don't know General Giant. And this is such a, like, how do I explain this to you? You just have to hear it. And then I was like, I got to bring my DVD. You got to see it. <laughs> and, and it's, it's funny because, you know, once the song starts and it's got that sick organ in the beginning, um, yes. as soon as it breaks into that, that vocal, 
um, acapella interplay. That's just, that's quintessential Gentle Giant. And you can't attribute that to any other band. There were, there were, you know, a band like, like Yes in the 70s who had multiple members who were talented singers, but they didn't do anything near as dense as the vocal arrangements that, uh, the Gentle Giant would do. It was, it was straight up like, like classical fugue stuff. And it still blows my mind. I, I watch that shit now. Like I watched, I watched one of the concert films the other day and it's just, they, it's just so full on. They just, they, they didn't like half-ass anything. They totally went for it. And so listening to the Cockroach King, I was like, I was like, oh my God, like finally someone else, someone else who, you know, is so directly influenced by these guys. And, uh, and that same kind of, you know, quirky vibe obviously goes throughout the song. Um, I love, uh, you know, different parts of this, I guess different parts later in the song, there's uh, Ross kind of uh, does, he does, he does some like really cool intricate, um, syncopated vocals with like big interval skips and uh that's also i feel like similar to how how uh derek shulman would sing in, in gentle giant and also obviously extremely difficult and you know it's such a credit to what a good singer ross what, is what um, amazed me about that song is that it is somehow it became like their hit and that's yeah. it's even more ridiculous mm-hmm. because if there was one song on that album that I would have thought is absolutely too strange to to appeal to all the prog fans, it would have been that one. Right, and, and it's it's yeah yeah I don't know what it is, but we we have that with Between the Buried and Me as well, where like I think that song has a similar kind of vibe to a well a song that's coming out on part two of Automata, but also. Uh, like the ectopic stroll or uh bloom and uh you know those are songs that i wrote and that's that's that quirky shit is so embedded in me and yeah i mean it was obviously one of the first favorite things that i heard by these guys i was yeah so into it Cockroach and its promise I fantasized About soaring With golden wings Hypnotized By the cockroach And its promise I was compromised By a treasure That was fit for fools Vic, you're up. I am grateful to hear Dan bring up Cockroach King because Cockroach King was like five B for me. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's a it's a great song, and again, it's one of those things where being a fan of of British sense of humor, Monty Python, and just anything that that happens in in that culture and that sort of sense of humor that they seem to carry, and you hear that song and and the way that they have arranged the guitar parts, you you can almost hear the the roaches crawling you know it's it's <laughs> yeah. just so so well done and yeah, I, uh, I so I, when, when it gets to that bridge and you have the and he's got like a ring modulator on it and it just sounds totally like it's such a bizarro effect and right away you know like okay this is off center absolutely and you know the the vocals when the vocals kick in yes i think of you know the yes acapella stuff and uh, I always heard of Gentle Giant, but not from not from Haken. I, I knew of Gentle Giant because of Neil Morse, because Neil yeah. Morse is very influenced by that. Dan, quick question. When you introduced to the guys, uh, when you mentioned Gentle Giant and they didn't know who it was, how did you introduce it to them? I mean, because their discography is huge. That's yeah, a good question. Go, What's a song you go to to show somebody Gentle Giant? That's a dude, good I, go, I go hardcore straight 
to uh, On Reflection from Free. Okay, yes. And I usually do uh, the version from Playing the Fool. Like, I'm like, and I, and if I can, I just send the YouTube link of them playing. Is that, the, is that the BBC show that's uh, that's on YouTube? Yeah, and you just see that they're like, that they're, they're all multi-instrumentalists right off the bat. <laughs> you see, like, I, the song starts, they're not even playing their instruments. They're, they're on recorder, they're on violin you know, cello, whatever. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you have to go, you have to go full in, you know? Cause, <laughs> and it's funny because I, when I was talking about, you know, like clearly like mine and Rich's parents, you know, having passed the stuff down to us, I have memories of being a kid and the only like progressive rock thing that I remotely remember is that song, On Reflection. I remember being in the car I don't know if my dad had it on. We we used to have mixtapes on, but you know, mine were like, you know, alternative rock stuff. And my dad was big into like, like the late '80s, early '90s shoegaze stuff, like Cocteau Twins, Lush, My Bloody Valentine at that time. So he usually had a mix of that. And somehow I remember Gentle Giant being on, and I just remember that song. And when I circled around to getting back into it myself. I was like, oh my God, that song, you know, and I remember having to track it down. But yeah, when I, when I showed it to the guys, I think Tommy took an, an immediate kind of liking to it and probably delved more. I think for everyone else, it was way too much back then. <laughs> the, 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 the evolution. I like, I like the idea of something being too much for your, your guys' band. No well, yeah, you can hear the evolution of our band over time. I was a prog guy um, who was into some metal bands and they were metal guys that were into some other stuff. And as time has gone on, we've, you know, kind of become a full on crazy prog band. So uh, Victor, did we do your number three yet? No, my number three, because there's, there's a middle part in number three, which takes on this gentle giant feel. And it's, and it's from, uh, uh, from the Restoration EP, I went with Crystallized. It's a great epic song. It's when Connor Green gets to show off, you know, finally we get to see who this lonely American is on this band and just to show off his chops. But that middle part where Ross just does the, the you know, the, the multi-vocal, yeah. uh, just that was that was awesome. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing what they did with this, with this EP sort of, you know, after the mountain. Uh, really, I think opened the door for you know the sky's limit on affinity. But crystallize is just uh, a song that I that I go to all the time, and it it amazes me. Yet another epic song that you don't really feel like you're in the middle of a long song. They just they just really go through everything. They write this stuff so well. So crystallize my number three. Yeah, love that one. Epic. I mean, it's sort of a follow-up to long epic visions, I think. And and uh, to have another 25-plus minute song that's incredible is is uh, awesome. I'm going to throw a, a last-minute sort of uh, audible on my number three. Oh. Because uh, I was on the fence between two songs. And since, Dan, you picked one that was one of those two. I'm going to I'm going to swap and I feel I feel good about making this choice. So, I'm going to go completely a little different and choose something from Affinity that's not one of the long epics and not uh one of their metal, you know, crazy songs, but their great attempt at just a sort of a great pop song just with the most sick playing. And I love that. I love when you can do this prog thing with crazy drumming and finger tapping and all this kind of stuff. And it's in four and a half minutes. And I, I love when a band can pull that off and they do it extremely well on Earthrise from affinity. So that's, 
That's one a great of my pick. All time favorite songs by them, and I, it's sort of unconventional. It's not a it's not what Haken is really, but uh, I love that they can throw a song like that in there, and I find myself always going back to it. So, Rich's Rich's solo for me, Rich's solo is what makes that. Well, that song. whole middle is so prog yeah. nuts, and it's awesome. So yes, no, good pick, good pick. It yeah, was going to be 1985, but I, I said, all right, we already, that's accounted for. I'm going to go with this. to see that song live yet yes yeah. they yeah. played it on the cruise they played it on the cruise okay i saw them on uh it might have been the last time it was it was in september they were over here might have been right after when was the cruise uh cruise february. was in february yeah february okay okay well yeah these guys were over in september we did a uh, prog power together in atlanta they played it like yeah people go nuts they go absolutely crazy for that song live i love diego's face when he starts playing the opening, you know, the opening little tune. He just, he has this face like, oh yeah, I got this. <laughs> That's it's, awesome. It's a cool song. Uh, okay, uh, home stretch. Dan, your number two. Yeah, my number two was Crystallized. I didn't want to say too much about it when it, when it came up before, but uh, yeah, great song. I, I guess I kind of forget that, that the EP was Connor's introduction uh, to the band, but yeah, he's he's phenomenal. His playing is great. He's a super nice guy. Yeah, I love the folk music sort of thingy there. Um, yeah, it, it's such a cool song. And again, like I, I love that from that section it goes into this insane like kind of Zappa thing with uh, with the guitar and and uh, uh, like like a xylophone type thing doing this really atonal sort of uh, whole tone melody and. Uh, it's just it's just super creative way to to shift from one field to another, and they obviously do such a good job of that. Um, yeah. That's that's such a an important. I don't I don't think that there's any one thing that makes up a progressive rock or metal band, whatever. But obviously, being able to jump in and out of genre or feel and make it all feel very connected. That's it's you hear it done really poorly. And to hear it done really well is awesome and very important. And these guys do it so good. Yep. It's, a, it's a fine balance of, like you said, Dan, just being able to do it smoothly. You know, being progressive, you're not supposed to have boundaries. You're supposed to kind of go anywhere. And, and I don't know if it's a lack of fear, but they're, they're not afraid to go wherever they feel like going, whether it's a sense of humor thing or whether it's just a – you know, yeah, it, it's it's you know going from that from that folky part. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's they they just know how to fit it in, uh, and they're a band. They you know they have extended range, eight string guitars, and you would think that they would have any sort of similar resemblance to something um, that Meshuga would play, and they sound nothing like that. And yet they can incorporate some really heavy, tasteful where they're just droning on that on that eight string and it sounds great uh on top of that whoever you know whoever's producing their albums you know whoever records which i don't have it off the top of my head hats off because to get all that noise controlled where it sounds great and they pull it off live which you know which is which is awesome so that's that's well that's and speaking of the production that's another connection our bands have is we both work with uh, Jens Bagren um out of Sweden. And so he recorded the mountain and affinity and mixed them. Um, he mixed coma ecliptic and the automata series for us. And the Haken record was one of the ones, cause we knew a lot of his, his earlier work with uh, like Opeth and, and, and he had done some stuff with pain of salvation. 
Um, but to hear a modern band that had all the extremes, uh, maybe not quite as extreme heavy wise, but, but, you know, kind of close enough. And with the Coma Ecliptic record, we thought that, that the mountain was a really good reference. And, um, and uh, so, yeah, that's another connection with our bands. That's awesome. All right, Vic, number two. Number two. Um, I'll keep it short and sweet. Uh, Affinity, um, just how they can combine. They, you know, Connor comes in, becomes part of the writing process, and uh, these guys are just uh, really, uh, just really finding a darker sound, not necessarily a, a heavier, like, blow you out of the water but just uh just a very mature sound uh my favorite song in the affinity album is the architect um i just love how heavy it is just love the the polyrhythms just uh i love the the middle part where you know connor gets to show off finally his his bass chops doing a that solo over the the droning chords uh you know then you then shortly after that it starts building up with the with a counterpoint uh, guitar and, and bass little melodies there and then a part that kicks into something that sounds like like Opeth with uh, Rich playing the solo and then you got Ross growling which fits right in um, I, I just and again another another you know good length song that just has a little bit of everything to it but that's that's my top pick uh, out of the um, out of the Affinity album and so Architect number two Again, that was a, I, I, hard for me to pick from that album. I love I love that song as much as 1985 or the other ones. Um, I, they really, at the time, uh, I thought they really stepped up their game with that album off of the mountain. So I uh, don't disagree with your choice there, and I'm glad that song's represented for sure. Um, I guess I'm making it three for three for Crystallized with my number two. Wow. Matching Dan. That's funny, yeah. Uh, yeah, look, I think most people would agree that's one of their best songs, if not their best, and clearly we all agree there. Not much to add there, except we forgot to mention that I, that uh, Mike Portnoy does the closing gong at the end of the album, <laughs> at the end of the song. That's yes. So, so we may as well throw that in there. Um, but, uh, yeah. Uh, amazing song. Let's. I'll, I'll just skip right past it. Uh, Dan, you're uh, you're number one. So my number one is Atlas Stone. Um, hey, there you go. That's yeah, a, for for a, for a bunch of reasons. I think you know it's it's the first taken song I heard. You know, uh, I got you know technically the intro to the record and then that, but still, um, the first thing I heard, and then um, I, I think I remember. Because you know, because it starts instrumentally, and and I liked the early theme themes that were happening. Um, and I remember being relieved when I heard the vocals because Ross has such a good, uh, comfy register, you know. And I think it was nice to hear something that wasn't like operatic, or you know, hearing hearing that that first intro to that song. I didn't know what direction it was going to go. I just remember being really, really pleased and satisfied with, with his voice and, and being kind of psyched. Um, and then, you know, I, I, the, the, the way that that song is arranged, I love so much. I love that it goes from the first chorus right into a solo section. It goes into, uh, I don't know if it's, it, yeah. it's an old solo and then right into a guitar thing. And then that, that's one of my favorite parts. And, um, 
and I love to, to get real specific. I love uh, the solo tone that they have. Um, uh, a lot of a lot of solos get kind of drenched in uh, delay or reverb. Um, BT Bam is very guilty of this over the years, and it's like that, that's like a very '80s thing. I feel like, but um, it's so good and so dry, and it reminds me of kind of like a. Uh, images and words awake style Petrucci so like that early 90s it was it was real dry and his solo tone got a lot wetter and wetter as time went on as well um and to hear like like it's like low gain real minimal reverb or delay if there's any and really just 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 ripping and uh I heard that and, and got really excited and I also I think this song is a great example of you know obviously great players doing some really cool stuff with not a lot of themes in the bridge uh, for the instrumental section. And, and it just seems like all the, uh, all the really intricate playing and everything that they're doing is all to serve the song. Um, nothing seems too out of control. Obviously there's moments on the record where it gets out of control and we love that because that's okay. But with this song, it feels like it's all somehow still contained, and that's uh, that's that's been an important thing for uh, between the Barry to me on our journey as a band as well is really trying to serve the song, cut out the shit, cut out the fat, and just try to get to what we can do do more with less. And I think this song does a really great job of that. Awesome. I'm glad somebody agreed and, and putting that one at number one. That's pretty, pretty great. Um, just real quick, I, I, to back your point about Ross and, and the fact that he doesn't come and, and sound like one of these operatic guys. And I, I couldn't agree more. I think he's the most, has the most unique voice and fits so perfectly with the band. And he's such a great, um, the, the, way, he, the way he weaves the, the, his singing melodies in and out, uh, I, I think it's perfect. And it's, it's, it fits any any more or less vocally. I would worry would would take the band in a whole different direction. All right, Vic. Let's see the big uh, number one. Big number one is uh, you know it's always it's always cool when you have a, a, an experience with a song that you can kind of be taken back to that specific moment in time. And uh, the first time that I saw them live, um, they had never played in the u.s so it was this was on the uh progressive uh, nation at sea tour back in february of 2014 they um had played a great show on the pool stage and uh, they were going to play one more song and uh, while they were introducing the song diego just said oh this next song you know are you guys willing to you know it's a, about a 22 minute song and everybody that was there knew which song it was. And that was visions. Um, that was the album that I was introduced, uh, that introduced me to Haken given to me by, uh, by, uh, by recommendation by the prog report at the time, uh, in the, in the early stages of, uh, of the game. And, uh, visions just, uh, the way the, the entire song, uh, you know, you have, uh, how it starts, uh, when the when the guitars kick in, after you have the the strings that sort of build and sudden the the drums kick in, the guitars are are holding a chord, and Diego is playing a keyboard line that, uh, it's one of those things that reminds me to back when I was a kid, uh, and just listening to what my my dad and my uncle were listening to at the time, and that that keyboard line reminds me a lot of of an old saga song from their first album. And the song that, that it brought me back to was, uh, uh, will it be you? Uh, when, when that specific song is fading in, you hear this haunting, uh, keyboard melody line and just keeps building and building. So that's what that melody reminded me of. So it was, it was great to listen to that. And then of course, when you see them perform live, as we have mentioned before, that they are just 
great live. And if possible, they have just gotten so much better. Uh, these guys just live are, are, are just solid as I've seen. And they, they sound great. And, you know, to have, you know, a 22-minute epic in which you have, you know, a great soft part in the middle that builds up and then leading you all the way up to the end where, you know, the whole crowd is just joining in, you know, with the band, waving their arms in the air, just a, a great, you know, anthem moment that we're singing, you know, the O's towards the end, right before the end. Yeah, you and I were, were there together watching that, and, and that's one of the iconic moments of that cruise for me, and, uh, you know, the arm waving at the end of that big epic where everybody's singing along, and it was just so prog. It couldn't have been more prog. And uh, yeah, so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in on, on your choice there because it's my number one as well. And I'm just going to piggyback off of everything that you said because I, I probably would have said the exact same thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, yeah, I just think it's, it's perfectly written. They're going to have a hard time ever topping that song for me uh, just because I think it's, um, it's, there's a handful of like 25-minute songs that, are always ingrained in my brain, you know, Supper's Ready and Stardust We Are and, uh, you know, Stranger in Your Soul by Transatlantic. And, and this one's up there with, with those. I think it's as good as, as all of those songs. It covers a million parts and the playing is great and the melody's great. It's got a great hook and it's got that big epic ending that sort of adds to which all those songs sort of have as well. And um, yeah, that's uh, just a, just to celebrate that song and the, and the rest of these, I think this was a, a really great, uh, really great discussion for me. I had, a, I had a really great time and ending it on visions, I think is perfect. I think it's great. And uh, I, I really enjoyed listening to Dan and how analytic he is in, in the songs that he picked, not only the songs that he picked, but commenting on the songs that we had selected. It's neat to see just how the, that analytic brain of, of the musician is working. That was fun. <laughs> Well, now you got to have Rich do a, a Between the Bear to Me one. That's We're going to have to do that. We're going to have to do that. Maybe around the time that the sec part two comes out, we'll, we'll throw that in there. That's fair. Um, and I do have to say, on, on I mean, it's you know not on the down low or whatever, but you know when, when we wrote the Automata record, it's, it's kind of supposed to be all-encompassing, balanced, a uh, little bit of everything type record. And... Uh, the fact that it got split up, I feel like all the prog shit got somehow on the back half of the album. So, uh, okay, wow. it's going to be a fucking blowout is what I'm saying. <laughs> so, I, I hope you're, hope you're right. It starts with a 13 minute song and it just, it, it's, it's, I would say those four songs are uh, tops. Some of my favorite that, that we've done. Splitting the thing from the get go wasn't like my idea, but, um, you know, kind of came around to it. And honestly, it seemed like from a fan perspective, no one really batted an eye. Everyone was kind of like, oh, we get some now and we get some later. That's cool. Um, I, you know, I just think it's a different approach, but it's not good or bad. I, it you know, was, I, yeah, it's, it's the fine. way music is nowadays, a lot of people consume things two songs at a time anyway. So right. who knows? Who knows? I mean, people are going to put it in their iTunes after the fact anyways, and it's going to roll as one thing. So, um, you know, just because, I mean, there's – there's obviously there's musical themes and stuff that are in uh, both parts that play off each other and, and it all kind of comes to a head in, in the last song. But uh, it's it's definitely a quirkier, uh, the, the quirkier, if you look at it as one record as like an A and a B side, it's definitely like, right. it definitely takes a turn when we get to the B side. So, yeah. Well, I think, uh, well, I want to thank you guys both for, for doing this. It's always fun. Dan, I hope you had a good time. Um, yeah, and uh, I appreciate it. And thanks for all the music and, and for all your insight. And uh, it looks like it's about to, uh, to storm here. Uh, so perfect timing. And I hope your dog is okay. She's good. It actually just stopped storming here. <laughs> right, we're getting it down here. Very quickly. We're getting down here. All right, buddy. All right, thanks, guys. We'll, uh, we'll see you guys again uh, soon. All right, catch Great. you later. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.